I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Marketing today is about being data-driven and understanding who your customers are. Developing a holistic view of the customer is about to get harder, though, thanks to a new world we're all about to enter, a world without cookies. If you are really heavy on third-party data, then you are going to be impacted the most. But if you have built a good first-party data strategy and enough data that can let you survive longer, based on my experience, the third-party data wasn't always working or effective. The best way to navigate via this is to start building your first-party data. It is complex for some, but if they start small and slow, they can still catch up. That's Mazen Rue, head of Global Digital Factory at Friesland Campina, one of the world's largest dairy factories. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Mazen tackles tough questions on how marketers can best prepare themselves for a future without cookies and what it will take to build up their first-party data. Plus, Mazen shares his outlook for what marketers can expect in a post-COVID world and why there is no view quite like a 360 view of your customers. Enjoy this episode. It's time to reconnect at Connections 2021. Hear from marketing, commerce, and digital visionaries who created bold experiences with Customer 360 and learn how to be a successful marketer from anywhere. Sign up now for free at bit.ly slash Salesforce Marketing Trends. That's bit.ly slash Salesforce Marketing Trends. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Mazen. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm good. And you? I am doing great. Excited to chat with you today and and get into uh, your background, talk about uh, Friesland Campia and all the cool stuff that you're doing there. So first, let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing? Yeah, that goes back maybe like 10, 12 years ago. Uh, I started at the publicist group at the media agency. I used to work on BlackBerry, if you remember, uh, uh, 10, maybe in 2008, 9, and then 10. Uh, and then from there, I um, moved to different... Uh, so I started in Lebanon, then moved to Dubai and Singapore. So I did a lot of uh, touring. And I moved into programmatic in 2011. Uh, and that was the start. So mainly on SEM and BlackBerry. And then so flash forward to today. Tell us a little bit about your current role. Perfect. Well, uh, currently I live in the Netherlands and I'm responsible of uh, global digital uh, media and MarTech for uh, Royal Friesland Campina and that's all the business groups. Uh, And also I'm leading the global digital factory team in Singapore overseeing China and uh, Southeast Asia. And currently in my role, I oversee media, digital media, uh, CRM, uh, website and all the data activations and technology. And then, of course, we uh, manage mostly 25 markets. So it's definitely a uh, global uh, massive role. Yeah. And so for our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit more about Friesland Campina. Sure. So Friesland Campina is a Dutch dairy company. It's in the top uh, five globally. It's number one in the Netherlands. Uh, we do have four different business groups, which um, the baby formula milk, the dairy uh, consumer products like milk and cheese. Also, we have ingredients and food services. 
And we are present in uh, 25 plus markets. And also we do have some export and growth markets in uh, different locations like uh, America and Latin America as well. Uh, but I think mostly we are the biggest in China, which comes as a surprise since it's the Dutch uh, company. So it's always a surprise when I tell people that it's mainly Asian, like we have a bigger presence in Asia. But I think that's due to the uh, high birth rate for the baby formula milk. Um, and that's where the most of the consumers are. Yeah, that's um, uh, that is fascinating, right? It's like you said, a truly global brand, and talk about a bunch of different uh, you know challenges as that relates to marketing and digital and all that stuff, which we'll get into here. But uh, you know what what type of uh, what type of geographies or what type of products are you putting in there? Are you working with all of the different brands? Are you working with you know brands serving different geographies specifically? What does that look like? Uh, it's a combination of both. Mainly, I'm focusing on the baby formula milk uh, and then the geography, which is Southeast Asia and China and some in Africa and uh, Middle East and Europe. And the other one, which is uh, less of my priority, which are the consumer dairy, which is mainly in uh, EMEA or Europe. My day starts maybe at six in the morning uh, to be able to cover Asia because my team is based in Singapore. Uh, and that's a bit of challenge because you need to work maybe in two di- different time zones. Yeah. So it's definitely longer uh, working hours. Yeah, that that really is. So when you're working on these individual brands, from a marketing perspective, how do you kind of go about this? Are you arranged by, by brand? Uh, do you have certain kind of like brand leads that are doing marketing? Or do you have people that are working on across like all the different campaigns? How does that look? Yeah, it's... Kind of both again, uh, but mainly you are split by brand or by business group. Uh, but of course, there are some uh, teams who work across all brands and all markets. Uh, but when it comes to a local execution, it's mainly split per brand or per business group. And yeah, of course, slash uh, geography. So uh, that's the biggest challenge because each uh, market is completely different from a marketing landscape. Maybe you can compare it with the language sometimes maybe in, in the Middle East, for example, because they all speak Arabic. But actually, when you go into the details, uh, each one is completely different because it's a different uh, culture. And the same in Asia, like the Southeast Asia landscape is completely different. Yes. Yeah, so as you're thinking about you know marketing all of these different brands, marketing these different geographies, what types of challenges do you run into? Uh, how do you use data to drive some of those marketing efforts? Data is the is key. It's the most important, and our objective is to is to keep on uh, collecting data. And you know, uh, we 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 started this five years ago with the um, a global team, and we built the data warehouse, and we uh, implemented DMP back then. And at the moment, we just try to focus on uh, one collecting more data, validating the data, because uh, we have a lot of first party data especially when it comes to um, the baby formula milk, which is more about the moms and their details. So we do track all this based on consent as well. The challenges that we have is mainly from a marketing perspective, it's uh, some data are still in silo. You try to connect all these different touch points, but still this is a, a challenge. And then also why I say in silo, because the different technologies so you have the e-com now technologies, which they don't share much. And then you have the marketing and the media. You know, every day you have a new platform coming up and that requires a different maybe skill or knowledge and then more media budget. So there's a lot of 
challenges and uh, complexity at the moment. And I think the last one is the effectiveness and ROI. So not all of them will uh, let you to measure properly. The main question of media, we invest, for example, $1 or euro, and then what's the return on that investment? Uh, so the, the effectiveness part is still a question mark. So tell us a little bit about the types of campaigns that you all work on. Um, like what would be an example of one of the campaigns? Well, we have a branding campaign, and performance campaign, because of course we work on the 4C, which is the, the catch, connect, convert. So a typical campaign would be to focus on performance and drive more acquisition, for example, the baby formula milk or any other product. Uh, so we focus a lot on data activation, on optimizing the campaign, on running a omni-channel campaign across different platforms. And we try as much as possible to enhance it with our first-party data or third-party data. Um, we try also to customize the landing page or even to have some dynamic messages, uh, more personalized if possible. But of course, it's really uh, based on the scale of that campaign. When you're talking acquisition, who are who are your uh, buyers in that case? Like, who are the folks that are that are looking to buy? Is it all the way to the individual consumer, or is it more from a B two B perspective? Mainly, this one is B two C, so it's the actual consumer. It's mainly the the pregnant uh, woman. Uh, these are our first lineup consumers. And then where do they, uh, where are they generally purchasing? Is it, is it they're going to purchase at their local, you know, store or supermarket or wherever it is? Yeah, that's where it comes uh, more complex. The reason is because in Asia, it's maybe different than US and Europe. Uh, you have like maybe thousands of small uh, shops around the corner. They're not all branded with the same name, like 24-7 or all these uh, Tesco or uh Carrefour, but these are small local shops around the corner. So they're they're where they can um, buy the products. Again, during COVID, maybe that was accelerated. And now they buy it more often via the e-commerce platforms, or even we have the the pharmacies and hospitals. So that's the last uh, place where they can buy it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, talk about a, a totally different, you know, market segment when you're when you're looking at someone in Europe versus that can, like you said, go to a twenty four seven or you, you you know where they're going to be buying or the type of places that they're going to be buying versus a local shop where you know hopefully they have it in their local place, but but if they don't, you know, then they have to you know look online or wherever else. Exactly, and I think the the last difference I would say is the urban compared to the rural. So when you go to an urban city, it's completely fine. You can still navigate and find it and maybe track some data. But when you go to the uh, rural area, which is outside the city, then that's a big challenge because tracking data and measurement would be much more challenging. Yeah, so so let's let's get into to the data a little bit more. You know, obviously marketers are always trying to get a better understanding of their customers. Uh, you know, in the past year, uh, Salesforce has, has been, you know, talking a lot about this this idea of getting a unified view of your customers, and Marketing Cloud obviously helps do that. But how are you thinking about reaching new audiences with data, uh, getting in front of new people? I think mainly, yeah, you said it right. I, uh, Salesforce has been doing a lot of efforts to acquire new companies and to focus on the single consumer view by launching a CDP, Marketing Cloud, Marketing Automation as well. All these tools can help, but I think the, the best way to reach to new consumers is to 
collect the data of the current consumers and try to analyze it and then understand more the behavior of the consumers. And then once you have that, then it will be easier to navigate and be able to attract new consumers based on that learning. Also, if you can use that data to retarget it or do some lookalike, and that also would be very helpful via the Salesforce platform or even the other platforms. Because, you know, the most valuable data today is your first party, uh, which tells everything about the consumers from habits to behavior to where they buy it, the life cycle of it. And then that's where also where the consumer journey starts. And I think that's where a lot of brands are struggling. And it's definitely a struggle when it comes to the complexity of all the ecosystems and where the consumers now are changing a lot of their behavior, even with the COVID from offline or not going out to mainly just being on your phone at home, maybe smart TV, maybe the, the TikTok now evolution. So a lot of things are completely changing how we live our day now during the, the COVID situation, or even post-pandemic. Uh, I think that this will uh, remain for a longer period. So we need to adapt. We need to be flexible and agile as well and how we create our strategies and how we execute the strategies. Yeah. Do you, do you have an example of one of those type of campaigns where you had to shift from, from being like a, a digital first sort of campaign? You know, pandemic came uh, at a moment where no one expected it. And at that moment, we had to shift our strategy and we had to shift our uh, activation where we focused more on e-commerce, for example. We, we had to pause all the uh, offline campaigns and focus more on being present where the consumers are trying to search for the product. So the, the shopper marketing, the, the e-commerce, partnered with the biggest e-commerce in the region as well. And then what we also did, we tried to put ourselves in the shoes of the consumer to be able to understand their needs and wants. And then logically, that led to us being closer to them. And, and we did change, for example, our content. And that's the first thing we did. You cannot keep on showing the same content during pandemic. So we tried to, to show uh, more support. And for example, one campaign we did, we gave a free delivery. Uh, if they, for example, order two or three products from our eShop, and then they get a free delivery. So we try to make it easier on them to get access to our products. And when everybody was, you know, kind of in that digital mode, you mentioned how you want to get information from your existing consumers that you want to uh, be able to, to get that info kind of early and often so that, you know, probably once maybe they, they go back to some non-online means or things like that, and then you can think about different ways to, to target and retarget and do look like audiences and things like that. You know, obviously, the different demographics are going to be challenging to try to figure out kind of, uh, uh, you know, when people are going to go back to, you know, picking stuff up from home, or maybe those behaviors shift forever. Maybe people are just more used to buying stuff online and like to be able to do that uh, when, when they didn't do that in the past, especially as you're talking about you know, mothers and, and uh, with young babies and things like that. So I'm just curious, like, do you think that those patterns kind of change over time or how are you, how are you looking at adjusting your messaging and marketing to keep up with behavior? Well, my opinion, it will remain for a longer period. The transition maybe will come to a, a normal uh, life after COVID. But uh, our best approach to it is to just wait, keep on monitoring the, the, the consumer behavior, keep on collecting data, 
and see how the uh, strategy or the uh, consumer will change. And based on that, we're going to adapt again. But for now, we're going to keep the accelerating the e-commerce and the online uh, uh, marketing and focus more on being present on all these e-commerce websites. Transition to, to a normal uh, behavior, I think maybe in a year or two years, that will come. But I will take it personal. I think I'm getting used now to uh, shop online and buy everything online. I find it much more easier and then I have the flexibility and I can find easier what I want and then I can return it if I don't like it. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm used to it. And then all of a sudden the, the cookie-less future is, is upon us, yeah. right? So how does, how does that change everything? Well, I have been in those discussions and topic for a, a longer period. I think I have been working on this project since uh, last year. Uh, I think the change is coming, but it will impact different clients or different advertisers differently. The reason is if you are really heavy on third-party data, then you are going to be impacted uh, the most. But if you have built a good first-party data strategy and enough data that can uh, let you survive longer, then you are definitely in a good uh, shape. Because again, uh, based on my experience, the, the third-party data wasn't always working or effective, I would say. Uh, sometimes in different markets, it works differently. Uh, so it's not always the same. But to go back to your question, I guess the, the best way to navigate via this is to start building your first-party data. Simple. And it, it's maybe it, it is complex for some, but if they start small and, and slow, uh, they can still uh, catch up because the, the latest update from Google uh, pushed that to mid-2022. So there's definitely another year ahead where uh, brands can start building that data. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just going to be such a such a change for everyone. Um, and you know, I think a lot of a lot of marketers are 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 pretty anxious about kind of what all this stuff means. Have you have you heard anything from your peers about kind of that that sort of feeling of being anxious about you know what this means and uh, how to think about their first party and third party data? Definitely, I, I think the first shock or reaction was people were scared or afraid. Uh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Uh, no more cookies. Uh, but I think most of it is driven by just a general fear in the public, which is can come with a little bit of knowledge gap. I think the biggest impact will, will hit publishers because that's where um, they sell those data and that's their income, right? And I see a lot of publishers moving to the uh, login uh, setup, for example, all the financial websites. So you have to log in now and create an account. And then for a lot of brands where they only use branded campaigns, um, like just the normal branded, I think those will never be impacted because they don't really use any third-party data. They go into a uh, mass targeting. And I remember I, I was in a couple of WFA uh, meetings talking about the uh, cookie-less and uh, first for data. And there was a poll, and I think most of the uh, brands or advertisers were in the beginning worried because it's uncertain what, what would happen. And uh, Google really didn't give uh, much information. And until today, it's already a year, we don't have much information of what's coming next. Now we see Trade Desk and other uh, peers and technology uh, experts are working on the ID and we live ramp at all these uh, ID5 and all the other technologies. 
but still you need a unique uh, identifier or unique uh, ID to be able to navigate via different DSPs. And that's something which is uh, very tough to achieve. Uh, I think also, also part of it could be political. So switching gears a little bit here, you know, last year, only only 29% of marketing leaders uh, said that they're satisfied with their ability to measure ROI, the big, the big three letters. How are CMOs and marketers like trying to figure out ROI? How are you trying to figure out ROI? Um, and specifically as it relates to, to leveraging data? What we have done, we built a, a KPI framework. That was the first thing that we have done is to be able to measure all the campaigns that we are doing and different at different stages, split per different type of uh, even format. And that helped us a little bit to track maybe not fully the effectiveness, but more first the efficiency and to understand how, how much we were efficient at that stage. The next stage that we have done, we added uh, business KPIs and then we linked the media KPIs to the business KPIs. And lastly, what we are doing is we have uh, built a effectiveness framework, which is more about trying to measure the brand Im- impact via some brand lift studies, uh, via some measurement studies as well, cross media studies and work on the MMM as well. And that's helping us to understand which channel is working best, how much sales is being driven per channel, for example, or when you combine two different channels, channels together. And then when we come to the uh, data itself, we work with the Salesforce and we have built a global dashboard with the Datorama. And that will help us to uh, visualize all the data from different platforms. And now if you need to see um, our CMO, if he wants to see uh, the the, the performance of X campaign in different markets, he can just look in and see all the campaigns, all the performances in one place in real time. And that's the beauty of data where you can uh, visualize it, analyze it, understand it. You don't need to fill hundreds of Excel sheet anymore or wait for someone to, to generate the report for you. You can just have it there in real time. But again, just maybe let me add this. The, the effectiveness piece is still the hardest. It's still the, the hardest, especially with the, the measurement uh, limitation on some platforms. I feel like... Especially when you're you're talking about some of the things that like, you know, where you're mixing these out of home campaigns, when you're trying to figure out, you know, people, you know, buying at their local corner store, obviously, like, attribution is always going to be extremely difficult. If we if we had the silver bullet, we would, we would all be rich, but we don't. And it's always going to be an ongoing struggle. Exactly. We have done a couple of attribution uh, studies and measurement. But again, I don't want to go into details into it just because maybe uh, the relationship between Google and Facebook, they always block it with each other. So it's really hard to do a full attribution study uh, between different channels, especially when you run a campaign, as you mentioned, between if you have uh, outdoor and the TV and the Facebook and Google, then it's really impossible to be able to keep on connecting all the the touch points. And that's where you uh, lose it between different uh, platforms. You know, and specifically around specialized nutrition, the brand, I'm I'm curious because you're you're marketing to folks that are you know everything from from infants to adults uh, with specific requirements uh, and life stages and things like that. I, you know, there's there's a lot of different kind of personas there, and it seems like there is kind of that that need for life cycle marketing. There is that need for uh, understanding you know 
the the whole like literal lifetime of of your of your customers. So I, I'm curious, like, how do you think about ROI not just in the short term but in in the long term as well? Um, that's a perfect question. We definitely think about the life cycle of each product of, of each brand as well, because you said you know, we have different type of, of products or different personas and different stages of the pregnancy. And even after pregnancy, the, the baby has uh, youth, like from baby to, to uh, being a kid. And then we try uh, to, to measure the life cycle of each one of them. Uh, we do have a team who focuses on that part. Uh, we think it's really important because each day you have an entry point, you have a new entry point, and it's important to understand um, the, the cycle of each one and then to keep the consumer as well. What we also notice that it's easy uh, for consumer to change brands during that during that cycle, and that could be challenging for us as well. But I don't think we are there yet, but that's something that we are definitely working on. Yeah, as as someone who's uh, who, whose wife is pregnant right now, I can tell you it's it's definitely that moment in time where there's all sorts of different you know decisions being made and and that uh, all different products that you're trying and you're introduced to new products for the first time and all that stuff and it's it's a very confusing uh, confusing moment in life. Yeah, and I think that's where uh, research comes in, uh, reviews, forums, and reading more about the the different brands because i know that stage is really tough on the consumer especially in the first pregnancy uh, a lot of research is needed to understand the, the benefits of the brands you know last year's state of marketing report suggested that uh, 84% of customers stated that the experience that the company provides is just as important as the product itself obviously you know it's a little different for cpg it's a little different you know for for a company like yours and the products that you all have but we all know customer experience is, is more important than ever. And and kind of like we mentioned there with the journey that providing information, being helpful throughout the process and, and not just, you know, being there with the product uh, all the time, but trying to figure that stuff out is is critical for the long haul. How do you think about those type of things when you might not have the most direct relationship with your uh, with your consumers all the time? I completely agree with you. I think it's really important to have a very uh, smooth uh, relationship with the consumer. Uh, the biggest challenge is that we don't have a physical interaction at the moment, uh, and that's the hardest part. And then what we can try and provide during this period is a easy navigation where they can really find the, the products wherever they are. And that's uh, one of them. And again, it's about being uh, there for the consumers and understand their needs. And for example, from a marketing perspective is to lim limit, for example, the number of ads that you also push. I think that could be a bad experience when you over push messages. Uh, another one also could be when you show the, the right uh, messages where they can benefit from it because you are also talking about a baby formula of milk. Now we do a lot of content, which they can, educational content that they can understand more different uh, challenges or different sickness or different type of uh, pain that they can have. Uh, so that's really important to um, make the journey easier. Uh, what we also try to do during the, the pandemic is to be there via some type of forums or chats. They can ask questions. Uh, I think all this will really help to be close to the consumers. 
You mentioned uh, some of the campaigns that you did before before COVID, uh, some of the more out-of-home things, stuff like that. Um, do you have any favorite campaigns that you've worked on that were, uh, that were non-digital, that were brand campaigns that were uh, either out-of-home or other places like that? Yes, but that was mainly in, in Europe. What we uh, did is a digital out-of-home. It was a programmatic task where we uh, focused more on specific location around the metro and uh, bus stop just to increase awareness on that new launch and new product. I think that was a, a cool activation because it was completely new, at least for, for us, and trying to just yeah, really uh, focus on, for example, next to some supermarkets or uh, next to specific areas uh, where there's a lot of density of people and doing it via programmatic. So it's not the, the out of home that you see it on a billboard, a normal one, but at least it's the digital. We are, we are really uh, excited about that. And then I think that would be the future. I saw also once a campaign, they used that online billboard to do a order, which is, I thought it's really exciting to do it via COVID. You don't need to use your hands or, or go to the store, but you can use the uh, digital billboard just to order some, something and then you go pick it up. Uh, so I think that would be definitely a, the future of programmatic uh, out of home. I mentioned that that my wife is pregnant right now, so we're kind of in that information gathering phase and definitely in that mode where you're trying to get as much new information that you really never thought about in your entire life before. Uh, and so learning what's healthy, what's not healthy, all that sort of stuff is is really important. And the content piece of it, you know, which you, you touched on a little bit, is definitely part of that. How involved are you in in the content creation and delivery? For that one, not much. Um, there's a specific team who's working on developing the, the content. But what we do from our perspective is we share um, more data on the best practice of, of creating that content, what should be in that content, and also to be able to create a content specifically for different type of personas and different type of moms and different type of consumers. What also we have done, we create content, content for fathers uh, because we notice that not only the mom who goes and buy the product, in, in many counties, it's the, the father. So we created a specific content uh, for him. And also what uh, I'm responsible of and I worked on is more to do a scale personalized uh, messages. So uh, do a lot of dynamic uh, creatives at, at scale. Um, you don't need to create so many manual formats anymore. Uh, you can just do it automatically via some tools and that will save you a lot of time and be more efficient and of course be more personalized because the first part data that you have you can just put it in some data feed and activate it so maybe next time you will see a ad uh, targeted to you yeah i know no no kidding right yeah 10 things to do when you're a new father uh <laughs> that's what i need um you talked a little bit about personalization. Anything else that, that you've done or seen in, in terms of personalization that, that you want to uh, work on going forward? Uh, or I know personalization is, is an un, another one of those silver bullet things where we're all yeah. working towards it, but it's, uh, it can be, uh, it's, a, it's a long haul. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what I would like to keep on working on, which is more personalization, via a CDP, so more uh, customization of the uh, consumer journey of a complete consumer journey, which I would love to have. And not only a, a journey across few platforms or within one platform, because that uh, can be done, but it's more follow a consumer from one platform to another and be able to measure it. 
And I think today the challenge is um, you can personalize some on maybe uh, programmatic and some maybe on search. But then when you go to Facebook or the social media platforms, that becomes a little bit harder to do it. And the other one that I would like to also do is a full measurement of personalization via a, a QR code and vouchers. I mean more uh, personalize a message with a specific promo code or QR code, and then follow that from online to offline. So if they go and purchase that item offline, then we can definitely understand which source uh, of channels that QR code came from. You can do it solo, of course, but then the omni-channel uh, would be much more interesting. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's it. That's that's a great uh, great piece of advice. I'm always worried about how pushing someone for more and more and more products when they haven't even when they haven't even fully used the first one yet, right? Like, I yeah. feel like you know we we have this this mode where it's like, well, they just bought our stuff, so they could buy three more products from us because they're probably you know if they bought a whatever if they bought you know, one thing for, for their, uh, for their baby, then they could, you know, maybe buy two or three or four more things, which, which is true. But at the same time, you don't want to just spam that person over and over again with ads. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's also a lot, you know, it's always for me when I, I work with the team, it's try to put yourself in the consumer shoes and don't oversell, don't cross sell too much. Don't push too much because at the end, you know, it's, it's good that they buy one or two, but then when you just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing at the end, it's we talked about earlier, it's the consumer experience, right? Any brand pushing a lot of uh, products, then you will start having a, a negative experience with them. And I think that's normal, right? Yeah, 100%. I think that getting people to opt into stuff that they, that they really are, are fired up for, uh, that they really want is, you know, is key, right? It's not just you know, opting into more sales emails, it's opting into something that, that really is helpful. But I think that's also different from a product to another. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to more um, I don't know, tech products, when they keep on pushing in new and new uh, devices every few months or a phone, then you can get now a, a cover and then earphone and whatever. And then it becomes a lot of things uh, being pushed at the same time. I think for more consumer products like us, I think it's easier. It's, it's not a common thing that we do because we have specific products and, and then we usually push it based on when the tin ends or when your milk ends or whatever. So it's not a continuous uh, push all the time. Leaning forward into uh, the next five years, I know you don't have a crystal ball sitting next to you here, but what do you think about the biggest changes and shifts to marketing over the next five years? What are you excited about? What are you... What are you testing with uh, and, and what's in your, in your uh, soon-to-be toolkit here for, for the next few years? That's a perfect question. I don't think five years exactly. I think it's coming uh, sooner than that. I think what I'm excited for is the more e-commerce activation, more social commerce. I, I think that's something that's already we have seen in the beginning of, of uh, COVID. Um, machine learning, AI, the cookie-less, that's something that I think is very interesting because I'm not saying that machines or AI will overtake human, but I think a combination of good human skills and uh, machine learning will definitely do an impact and change a lot. Uh, lastly, I think the, the, the bigger shift in marketing and for marketeers, it's the skills 
And that's something that really excites me is more the, the, the new skills that a marketeer needs to be able to adapt and work in a new uh, era that we're going to notice post-pandemic, which is more about being flexible, it's being agile, is about having a specific knowledge or skill set about data. Uh, and that's a big transition from uh, before. If you think the role of marketeer a few years ago, it was less data uh, savvy. And now it's all about data. It's all about really finding the, the behavior, insights, and research. And I think that's where the shift will come, is just more data-driven marketing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think just part of the problem is is so many people are uh, are just trying, are still in that like collection phase of like, how do we just get more information about these people and figure out, you know, who they are beyond just a database, you know, beyond just, okay, I have a list. Now what? Um, how old is my list and all that sort of stuff. I think people are still trying to figure that out and are not really in the get insights from it phase yet. I mean, obviously uh, some people are doing, uh, you know, there, there's huge, you know, gamut to that, but I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out like what's next. I think, if they make it complex and then it becomes really complex and then they, they cannot move, I think it's if we, my advice to them is just, you know, um, make it simple. Start really with the, some small changes, small activations, small data collection. You don't need to collect every single data source, but at least if you can collect one or two at the beginning and start using those, try to test and learn and fail and again, test and learn and, and succeed. And then that would make a big impact and then you can move faster. Okay, let's get into our final questions here. This is our lightning round uh, brought to you, of course, by Salesforce. Salesforce, they're the best. They've been with us since the first episode of Marketing Trends. We love them dearly. So go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. These are lightning round questions, lightning fast, just like Salesforce. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Number one. We talked about cookies in this episode. Do you have a favorite cookie? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Not really. I, I like all cookies. I like I like all cookies. <laughs> Me too. Uh, tough to pick a favorite. How about uh, what do you do for fun? Uh, well, I like to do a lot of sports. I'm a, I, I like to run marathons and I do a lot of uh, outdoor activities. If you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Something related to fitness. I would like to be maybe doing like a race director for some runs, like maybe extreme adventures, uh, because I have run uh, a lot maybe on the North Pole and South Pole, so I got some inspiration. Uh, I would definitely be a crazy guy activating and just organizing these runs in the, in the middle of nowhere. That's right. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'll watch on TV. I will not be there in the North Pole running. That is for sure. Um, what is uh, what is your best piece of advice for uh, for someone who's uh, head of marketing? I think I have two pieces because I always like to focus on the business part and the personal part. Uh, the, the the business part is just keep on working across all different platforms and technologies. I know this is uh, Salesforce, but also I like to be agnostic. Uh, keep on uh, developing your uh, marketing skills because it's really evolving and developing really fast. 
And the second one is, is leadership. When you're in that position, uh, leadership is very important. And then you need to be a, a model, a role model. Uh, so always uh, important to keep on working on your own skills, but also on your team. Uh, if you have a great team, then you'll be much more successful. Uh, so that's really important. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Perfect. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's been awesome having you uh, on the show and uh, and obviously sharing uh, all this with our, our Salesforce Connections community out there. So uh, thanks again for, for joining. And uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Well, the only final thought I would say, because we, we touch point uh, a lot about data and personalization, my only recommendation is just you have to start. And don't wait for tomorrow or next year on when the cookie list comes in or whatever will happen. Uh, just start on your uh, transformation journey and start working on your data activation, uh, start collecting data, even if small pieces, even if, uh, I don't know, whatever you have, just start because tomorrow will come really fast and you might just uh, lose time and not able to, to jump on that uh, train. Great advice. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining and uh, we'll chat soon. Thank you so much. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.